Well, good morning uh, to those in the worship center there. Well, I already said good morning to you, I guess. Um, welcome, welcome to our teaching time this morning, Ruth chapter 3. Go ahead if you have a copy of the scriptures. Turn there, Ruth chapter 3 this morning. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, there in the worship center, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you. So go ahead and open that up. Or anybody, uh, your digital device is perfectly fine. Go ahead and turn that on. Ruth chapter 3, if you're new to Bible study, Ruth is in the Old Testament, so it's not too far from the front of the scriptures, so maybe you can find the table of contents there. And so we have been walking through this book over the last few weeks together, and I, I love this story of Ruth because uh, we are seeing change happen in the lives of the characters, but hopefully we're seeing change happen in our lives as well. That's the whole point. And so as we have left these characters a couple of weeks ago, here's where we are. And I want to set it up, and I want to read the text, and then we're going to dive in. Now, this is an interesting text for today. But here's where we are so far. Naomi and Ruth, this is an, an older widow with her daughter-in-law, who is a widow as well. And these two have come back from a foreign country where they were seeking food, and they came back uh, and found food in Bethlehem. So in chapter 2, we walk through what it meant for this new character named Boaz, this wealthy, influential man, to care for this woman named Ruth as she went into the fields. She worked. She had, she had nowhere else to go. Naomi had nowhere else to go when they come back to Bethlehem. When they come home 10 years later, they have nothing. Naomi just owns the title to this land. She doesn't know what to do with it, her dead husband's land, and they have no income. They have no way of providing for themselves. So Ruth goes to these fields as the law allowed where the poor and the immigrants and the widows and the childless could go and they could work. And so God's law helped them. This man named Boaz provided for her, protected her, and so in chapter 2, in a significant turn of events, she meets this guy who is this powerful figure now who protects and provides for her. But he's more than that, as we're going to find out. He's much more than that because he's called a redeemer. Now, what this means is that the Old Testament law, again, labeled some individuals, some men who were closely related to widows and gave them a couple of opportunities to help those widows. The first way is these redeemers, these kinsmen redeemers, could buy back the land that these widows owned because the husbands were dead. They couldn't keep the land, so what are they going to do? They don't know how to manage it. They don't know how to keep it. So this kinsman redeemer comes in and says, I'll pay a price, I'll buy your land to keep it in the family and to keep you alive. That's one thing. The second way we see, or the second the second opportunity this redeemer has legally is to actually marry the widow and then have a son so that the family line can continue. The family land and the family line, it continues all the way through. This is so important. This is a high, high value culturally for those people. So here he is, Boaz. He's eligible to do this. Now, how are we going to get there if indeed he is going to do this? And that is today's text. As one pastor said in Ruth chapter 2 is a significant day in the life of Ruth because she is fed. Now we're going to come to a 24-hour period this week and next week in which she is, you ready? Wed. All right, you like that? 
Here we go. Here we go. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Hang on to your hats. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Out of respect, out of honor for the Holy Spirit who inspired these individuals to write it, it comes directly to our hearts. So we stand in honor of the Word of God, which says, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So wash, therefore, and anoint yourselves and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known. Do it quietly to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, Naomi, I will do. You may be seated. Now, how how do you like that marriage proposal right there, huh? Marriage proposals are are interesting. They've changed over time. In talking to our parents or to our grandparents, marriage proposals weren't necessarily a big deal. Not that they didn't love one another. They just weren't a big deal. And it seems that generation after generation, you have to get more creative with the marriage proposals, don't you? And so here's what I want you to do, you husbands and wives. I want you to go to lunch today or dinner tonight, and I I want you to say, I want you wives to say, honey, and this is the boat I'm in, honey, I know that the lack of creativity in your proposal to me doesn't mean you don't love me, okay? That's what I, wives, just help us out, because when I, when I asked Cherie to marry me, we were in Washington, D.C., and, and really, um, I, I wasn't very creative. I was real nervous. <laughs> and, and so I took her out to dinner, and I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked there in Washington, D.C., right there next to the Capitol. And, and so I think she knew something was up by the way I was acting when I came to pick her up. Because you're worried about the ring, and you're worried about the arranger. You're worried, does she know? I'm trying to keep it a surprise. But when we went to Capitol Hill, we never would talk, take walks at night around Capitol Hill. We did that night, and I think she knew something was up. So I got down on my knee. She was sitting on a bench there. I got down on my knee, and I proposed to her. I asked her to marry me. She said, yes, absolutely wonderful, but a total lack of creativity. I'm confessing, all right? Total lack of creativity, and I was amazed as I was kind of looking this week. How, you know, how do people get creative in this thing? And I should have known that the World Wide Web helps us out. Did you know, for instance, don't look it up now, but did you know that on the World Wide Web, there are ways to help you out. There's a, there's a website called um, tiethenot or not.com, right? Or howheasked.com, where you got people, I mean, there's this one picture uh, of this, this guy, and he's down on one knee, and they're like, on this mountaintop where she takes one step back. They don't have to worry about a wedding. <laughs> I mean, it's just way, way up in there. I'm like, that's, that's creative, right? Or um, where they, they just go in these, um, what do they call it, where these mobs are around, they sing, the, and they flash mobs, is that right? Flash mobs, all right? That would scare the woman half to death, I would think. But those are popular. Now, you name it. I mean, if you don't go to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and plant that ring under a reef somewhere, you are not creative. That's where we are nowadays. But it can't hold a candle to this marriage proposal. I promise you. I didn't see that on the website doing what what Ruth just did here. And let's be clear before we begin. Ruth is coming to Boaz and saying, will you marry me? 
Will you protect me? Will you commit to me? It's an amazing act of submission. We're going to see this in just a second. Let's go through the text as quickly as we can this morning. This is a great, great passage. We're going to try and get through at least the first two paragraphs. You can read the third one maybe on your own as a bridge to next week, chapter 4. But look again at 3, verse 1. Yesterday in the car I had all these errands to do, and so I I started listening to this passage over and over and over again. And when this uh, first verse, when I heard that first verse, I just hit pause and I said, whoa, let's think about that for a second. Here's what Naomi is saying. Do do you see a huge contrast here? Verse 1. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, Naomi has probably several layers of motivation here. I think she really does want to see her husband's family line continue. I, I, I think she really does have some land that she holds on to that she's figuring, what in the world am I going to do? But something has happened to her. There's been a change in her. And it doesn't say it in the text exactly. But here's what you have to try and understand. At the end of chapter 2, it says that Ruth and Naomi would work in the fields, or Ruth would, particularly in the fields, all the way until the end of the harvest. So the harvest time is roughly 50 days. So we can gather, there's several weeks that Ruth has been coming in and coming out. Boaz has been protecting and providing food. She's bringing it home. And here is what I'm thinking. Naomi is probably sensing that God's redeeming work and his grace is beginning to be realized in her heart and in her life. Commentators say there's a change here. There's something different about her. And you just have to read the words. In chapter 2, she is bitter. Remember, she walks into Bethlehem. I mean, they're just dragging. They're just, what are we going to do? We don't know. God, you are, why are you doing this to us? God, how are we going to provide? And she says, now I am no longer pleasant, but but now call me bitter. And now, notice what she says. Ruth, listen, listen. I want to find rest for you. I I want you to be well. Isn't it ironic that this is what she said when they began to make their way back from Moab to Bethlehem? And I think Ruth or Naomi was simply saying, you know, you need to go find rest. You need to go find a husband. And you just need to leave me and let me go back and do this on my own. Now she's saying, Ruth, I've been with you. I've been with you. And now I want God's redeeming work to come to you. Thought number one right out of the text this morning is simply this. Is that we at times are called to tie these two things together. Tie waiting on God with others. With initiating action for others. And these three points, here's what I simply want to do this morning. Is show you a combination in how two things work together. And in this story, one without the other, it's not going to be full. It's not going to be complete. It's like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You don't eat a peanut butter sandwich. There's just something missing. You just don't eat a, a jelly sandwich. There's just something missing. Together it's whole and complete. And so here's what we see in this story. And I love this in chapter 3, verse 1. You're tying together two things. Waiting on God with Ruth. That's what Naomi's been doing. And she's been desperate. And she has been bitter. And she has been asking God with Ruth right next to her. God, when are you going to come and redeem me? 
and redeem these circumstances. But now, she says, it's time for me to initiate God's redemption for others. Let me try and apply this right directly to you this week. There is someone in your pathway. There is someone that maybe you've been walking with. Or maybe there, there is someone that has been in that mode of despair. Or maybe it's someone, listen, maybe it's someone that you have had conflict or brokenness with and you're in chapter two with Naomi where you're waiting for God and you're longing for God to do something to bring reconciliation or redemption to that problem. But there's a point as followers of Jesus where we have to understand that as God brings redemption to us and he will, it's just not meant for us alone because God brings redemption to you so that redemption can be brought through you to other people. And this is why we, as followers of Jesus, have to be aware of those in our community, have to be aware of those in our circles where God can use us regardless of where you are on the spectrum, whether things are going incredibly well or things are not going incredibly well, that God has brought redemption and God has brought his grace to us so that it can be seen to move through us. You know, my psychology teacher in high school, I went to a Christian school, and I don't remember much about my psychology class at all, but I do remember this. He said this, you know how God uses discouragement in your life? He does dis uses discouragement in different ways. But he said, do you know what you can do to battle discouragement in your life? And I get it. There are various levels, and there are various various shades of what that means, discouragement. It's a big word. But you know what he said? He said, when you're discouraged and you're going through a difficult time and you're waiting on God, the one thing that can help relieve that pressure, relieve that burden, and cause you to lift your eyes up is to see you be a redeeming agent in the life of somebody else. So here, here's what's going to happen this week. All right, if you're awake, here's what's going to happen this week. There's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be an opportunity, just like Naomi, here's an opportunity. And there's going to be someone who needs to see God's redeeming work in their life. And here you are. Are you going to bridge the two together? Are you going to send that text? Are you going to make that phone call? Are you going to have that coffee? What are you going to do? God's calling some of you this morning to do that. Tied together these two things, waiting, on, waiting for God with others and initiating action on behalf of others. All right, but secondly, let's get to this marriage proposal here, all right? Read with me verses 6 through 13, and then, we're, and then we'll try and link some things up together, and we'll close this morning. Here's what it says. Verse 6, so she went down. All right, she's going she's gonna to go ahead and do this thing. <laughs> and she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So Ruth is, is going to obey She's going to try and follow the, the letter of the law here, what Naomi tells her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry or, or his heart was content or he was happy, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled. You would be too. And 
turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. Don't you like, a woman, who are, who are you, he says, verse 9. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings or the corners of your garment, other translations, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. All right, so, so here's what's happening here. The threshing floor is a very public place. And it's party central when it comes to the barley and the wheat harvest being taken in. Seriously, it's this huge feast. They eat and they drink and they get carried away a little bit because the threshing floors were known as places where sexual activity, sexual immorality can take place as well. It can, it can really be a place that where, where it's not so PG as we think it is sometimes. It's on the edge of town, and when the, and when the wheat and the barley come in, they have these big old forks, and they throw, they throw up the, the, the grain and the wheat and the straw. So they, they dig in, and they, they throw it up, and the chaff gets blown way away, and the straw gets blown a little bit away, and the, and the grains fall down in front of the people. And so when they collect those grain, those are, those are the heaps of grain that we see there, Boaz laying near the text. And maybe it's because, maybe it's because at nighttime, robbers or thieves maybe because it's just you know it's just crazy that during that time of year he's going to lay down there and he's going to sleep next to that grain on the threshing floor all right this is his business so as he does that here comes Ruth and Ruth does exactly what Naomi says and she initiates this custom that uh, of, of coming down and laying at the feet of this man now, he, here, let, let me say this, all right? I think I need to say this as your pastor to help you and to guard you and protect you. There are some things in Scripture that are very descriptive. There are some things in Scripture that are descriptive but are not prescriptive. In other words, there are some things where the Bible says this is what happened because God allowed or God ordained or this is just what happened. But not necessarily that is what you do. So here's just my advice and counsel to you if you're thinking about proposing anytime soon. Don't do this, okay? This is descriptive, not, not prescriptive. I, I'm not saying go down this line because if, it, if you do, if you do, I thought of this this morning. If you do, th one of three things are going to happen. If this is the way you're going to go, your pastor's just giving you wisdom here. Either, number one, that man is going to wake up and he's going to shoot you. You're going to be in, in the hospital. Secondly, he's going to call the police and you're going to be arrested. Or thirdly, you are going to be on Facebook and your life will be ruined forever and ever. So don't, don't do it this way. But this is just descriptive. But here are the principles involved, all right? This is, this is good. This is good. Watch Ruth in this. If Naomi, we saw Naomi in point one. Watch Ruth in this, all right? Here, here's what it is. Number two, tie these two things together. Remember the combo, peanut butter and jelly. You ready? Tie these two things together. Deep submission with bold faith. Deep, deep submission with bold faith. This is who Ruth is. I love this gal because she is so submissive. Remember, Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Where you go, Naomi, I'm going to go. Where you, where, where you stay, that's where I'm going to stay. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die. Your God, Naomi, I submit. That's my God now. Naomi's like, go back. No, 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 no. I'm going to submit to you. And to this God, she gets there, chapter 2, so submissive to Boaz, so respectful. 
You see a life marked by deep submission. Naomi says, this is, this is the marriage proposal. Ruth, how many of you ladies would say, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll do. She said, I'll do it, I'll do it. She did it exact two times in the text. She's submissive. But this is bold. <laughs> this is bold, what she does. Women to men, field workers to employers, foreigner to an Israelite. You don't, you don't do this type of stuff. This this type of, of proposal where, where you go in. She, she goes in quietly. It's night. Everyone's had their fill of their food and drink, and so people are content. Boaz lies down and she uncovers, she uncovers his feet there. She pulls his garment up really quietly. You've got to make sure you got the right guy, the wrong legs. That could be all kinds of trouble, right? And she just she just lays down. She just lays down there, it, 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 having washed herself and having anointed herself, and she's different now. You, you know what bold faith is? Let me give you a couple of things. Here's what bold faith, bold faith signals and says there's a change coming. That there's a time when, when some of you just need to say, here's change coming. Naomi says, take your morning clothes off, take your working clothes off, put, your, put, your, put a robe on, put a, put a cloak on and, and wash yourself and anoint yourself. There's change coming, Ruth. Lay down next to him and let him know you're no longer just a servant. The text says it, that word servant that she uses here. I'm your servant is not the slave worker servant. This is the maid servant. The Hebrew word is the maid servant that I now am making myself available. I'm moving to another category. This is bold, but another category of availability. And she lays down next to him and he wakes up and he looks at her. Who are you? Be startled, right? Who are you? She says, I'm Ruth. Can you imagine what's going through Boaz's mind? He, he, here's another mark. Not only change, but uncertainty, risk. Sometimes God calls you to do things and you just don't know the full answer right at the time in which God calls you to do these things. Boaz could have responded, okay, woman, I don't know what you're trying to pull here. I get it. I'm wealthy. I'm rich, I'm powerful, you're a poor widow, you just want my money. Or he could have said, you're a Moabite, I get it. That's what Moabite women do. That's your reputation. That, that's a, no wonder, no wonder you, you kind of played me a little bit here. No wonder you were so nice and respectful and kind to me. Or he could have taken advantage of her sexually. I mean, he, he could have gone any number of different, this is, this is, this is fate, this is bold faith and a risk. I'm going to step out and do this. At your word, Naomi. And then there's, there's this sense of vulnerability. Here's what she's doing. She's coming to Boaz and she is saying, um, will you cover me with your, with your garment? You know, to, the, to this day in parts of the Middle East, the way in which a a groom tells his bride that I will protect you is take a veil and to cover that woman. You know, now we take the veil off, right? Well, what she is saying is, is Boaz, um, will you cover me with your protection? Bold faith, so often we think of people who have bold faith, who, who are 
who are arrogant and, and who are who are hard charging or or who who are so confident in what they do and they just come across as these figures, you know, kind of like the like the explorers just charting to the ends of the earth, and that's bold faith. You know what Ruth reminds me of? You know what she teaches me? That bold faith sometimes means you're just plain vulnerable. And she comes to him and says, you're the redeemer. She comes to him and says, you're you're the powerful one that can save me and rescue me. That's what bold faith is. Let me stop right here. There are some of you listening to this, whether in one of these two rooms or online, and, and when it comes to vulnerability before the ultimate Boaz figure, which is Jesus Christ, I mean, we, we, we've seen this really from the beginning in which Jesus was introduced to us, that, that, G, that Boaz is a, is a figure of, of, of Christ to come, this, this one who is eligible to redeem, who has the resources to redeem, But does he have the compassion to redeem? And will we come to him with the vulnerability of our sin and say, will you redeem my life? See, that's the most important thing any of us can do. That's the most important thing anybody can do is to come to the Redeemer, to Christ, not with a sense of arrogance or not with a sense of great confidence, but with a sense of great humility and vulnerability that says, I am need you. Will you commit to me? What an act of great submission, great faith. This is what we need in our lives daily as we look to God for our strength and for our help. For those of you who know Jesus, we forget about the Redeemer. We forget about the power. We forget about the resources. We forget about Christ and all that he offers us. And somehow we think we got this thing figured out. Somehow we forget that Christ is the Redeemer and that we can come to him. But how many times do we come to him in great vulnerability and in great weakness and say, I am at your feet. You can do with me what you want, but I need you. Man, that's incredible testimony of this young lady. Deep submission, bold faith. But then thirdly and finally this morning, let's keep reading. Keep reading with me. Let's keep walking through this, verse 10. All right, so how does Boaz respond? And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Don't you know Ruth went, wow, made it. (laughs) May you be blessed, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You have been kind to me, Ruth, because I'm older, and you could go to these younger men, but you have come to me in your vulnerability and weakness and allowed me the opportunity to love you and to protect you and to guard you and to help you. I think this verse right here dispels any notion of Boaz being, you know, whenever I think of Boaz coming on the scene, kind of like this guy riding on a horse with hair flowing in the back, kind of a Fabio-type figure. You know who that is? I just dated myself with that, right? He's not. He's not. He's older. There's a huge gap 
We see it a couple of times throughout this story. There's this huge gap. This isn't Cinderella and the prince. This is commitment. This is, this is, this is a heart of abandoning to one another and vulnerability to one another. And in a marriage relationship, saying, I'm so abandoned, I'm vulnerable before you, but I will do everything I can to guard and to protect your life. It's beautiful. And Boaz says, and now, verse 11, read it. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Do not fear. And I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Maybe underline that, underscore that. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. I, I can do this. I'm eligible. However, there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's someone in line before me. So remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. It hurts for us to hear that, but he, Boaz is a man of integrity here. He's going to do it by the law. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. And in the paragraph to come, she's quiet in the morning. And she sneaks out and Boaz supplies her with food. And she goes back to Naomi and she says, there could be something happening in the morning. But here's the final point this morning. And it's this. Endure with patience and integrity. That's your part. As God works out his ways in your life. That's his part. These two things together, this combination together. Remember? Peanut butter and jelly here. Your job, what God has called you to do is to endure with patience and integrity. Endure. Endure not jumping, not leaping, but enduring with patience and integrity as God begins to wind and to work his way. I, we see this in Ruth. This is amazing. As we have watched her in 10 years there, she marries a, 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 this Jewish man, and he dies, and then she comes all the way back with Naomi and walking through the fields of Bethlehem, and we see nothing but endurance with patience and integrity from this woman. So much so that, that Boaz says, here's the deal. The whole town knows that you are a woman of great integrity. That you haven't taken shortcuts, you haven't veered to the left or to the right, you've just been submissive and faithful. And, as, and we have seen, we've been watching as God has worked you here, and God has wound his ways through you and in you, and he has brought you here. And here's the one thing that we see from you, and that is you've endured well, with patience and integrity. That's your job. I like Boaz. I mean, the, 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 the Hallmark, the Hallmark movies, the, those romance Hallmark love stories, this is where Boaz says, I'll do anything, I'll break any law, I'll go climb any hill to get you to redeem. But no, he doesn't do that. Mm -mm. Because he endures with integrity. Ruth, I, I want to commit to you that there's, there's a process here. and God has outlined a process for how we do this thing. There's someone nearer to you. So there's, I, I can't do it, Ruth. Isn't it interesting that at a place that could be very sexually immoral, those two individuals, people of integrity. And the process, people of integrity here. Ruth, I, I can't do it. We, we, we might be able to work this out. That's next week. We might be able to find a way, but, but I'm going to do it with integrity. And here's what I began to realize this week, and, and really it's been evolving and shaping for me, for your pastor. This is what Ruth has been, been teaching me. I don't know about you. But when it comes to redemption, 
this is, we, we all have a picture. If redemption is this for you, and we, we long for that. It, it might be the restoration of, of, a, of a broken marriage or a relationship with husband and, or with children, or it might be a situation at work. It might be whatever it might be, and it's very worthy, and it's something we want to see happen. But here's the thing. We put redemption and a picture up there, and we say we have to get there, and if we don't get there, then all of this is for nothing, and we get impatient. We don't do it the right way. Because why? We're, we're like, we have to have that above anything else. But here's what I'm learning in the book of Ruth, okay? That God isn't so much after what we want to see done as he is after who it is we are to become along the way. This is a great point. I, I heard it this morning, and, and I read it this morning, and I said, that is it. That is it, because we're walking through the book of Ruth, and it's all about their character. It's all about how they're going to respond to, this, to, to all of these things. And are they going to be patient? Is God going to work? And all this time, we know the end of the story. We know this crazy marriage proposal, and we know what's going to happen. But then they don't, and we just see them waiting on God. We see their despair. And God is shaping them, and God is making them into something else. He is transforming them. Here is what the New Testament says. All things work together for good. For some of you, you're going, no way. But yes, all things work together for good. To those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For this is what God is doing. For those whom God loved, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he, he brings to great glory. God is working out his ways. But what he's doing is he's transforming you and me. And that redemption thing, story might, might work out. It might happen the way you want it to happen. I don't know. But that's not what God's after. God is after your Christ likeness. Here's the quote. I read it this morning, which kind of helped me, kind of helped me get a more clear picture of what this looks like. You ready? Here it is. From Kristen Tab, Desiring God. The most important part of waiting is not whether we get what we want or not, but who we become in the process. Isn't that good? So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord give you incredible wisdom and insight. As you begin to determine what Christ is making you out to be. How he is working this waiting and working this difficulty. Yeah, to come to an end somewhere. I, I don't know where that is. This is why we wrestle. We want redemption. We want that. But what I want for you more than anything else is for your life to be shaped and hammered and made new by the incredible work of the Holy Spirit. This is why we go on the road to redemption, to make us more and more like his son. Will you pray with me right now? Father, for those that don't know Christ, here is my prayer for them. That they would know the incredible love of the Redeemer. Given his life for them, raised for them, and now lives for them so that he can offer eternal life 
forgiveness of sin, the ultimate redemption is vulnerable, weak sinners coming to a great, compassionate Savior. May that be the story of someone today, that they would realize their need of Christ and they would fall at his feet and say, will you cover me? And then, Father, as the story continues, we're almost there, but thank you for the realization that it's not what we want. It's who we become. And what we want will fall in line when we become like Christ. So, Lord, I pray for your people that Christ-likeness goes before them and that they follow with great submission and with bold faith, enduring with patience and integrity. And we pray this prayer for them in Jesus' name.